0: Here we go. You know what time it is. It's another episode of Sports Life Balance.
1: I'm not sure. I still have found what I'm supposed to do or what I'm what I'm good at. I mean, I I work every day to try to figure that out. And so, yeah. So it's not just wanderlust, but it's also almost like a craving. And 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 maybe that's weird to some people, but for me, it's just. Day to day, and I and I satiate that craving at least professionally, with always studying, always you know trying to improve. I mean, I've covered over sixty different sports. Part of the reason I enjoy doing that, in something that you and I both, as parents, I think try to pass on to our kids, is love to learn, and that's what I. That's I think what I learned in college. I was taught to love learning. That's probably one of
0: the biggest things that has served me well as I advance in years. That's Craig Hummer, Emmy-nominated sports broadcaster, author, lifeguard, and former professional Ocean Ironman champion. I'm John Moffat, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today for another episode of Sports Life Balance. After swimming at Kenyon College in Ohio, Craig immediately moved to Southern California, became a Los Angeles County lifeguard, went on to win seven U.S. Ocean Ironman championships and became an internationally renowned professional lifeguard. As if that wasn't enough, Craig has covered more than 60 sports in his 25-year broadcasting career. He's been the host or done play-by-play at five Olympic and Paralympic Games, spent nine years broadcasting from the Tour de France, and has been the voice of professional bull riding since 2006. So sit back and enjoy this unlikely story of a kid from Ohio who made his dreams come true in the land of real-life Baywatch. So, Craig, you don't ask me questions, right? I get to ask you questions. So fair, me, fair enough. Now you can ask me questions. Okay. Whatever you want to do, it's your podcast, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, Craig, I am so glad that uh, we've been able to pull this off. It's been quite an ordeal. Um, as far as scheduling, even though we live, what, a grand total of 15 miles I was apart, just going to say, they? right, as the proverbial crow flies, <laughs> but, you know, you're
1: a very busy guy. <laughs> I've always seemed to be on planes, so you were very nice to drive
0: down here, get in some beach air. Well, I'm glad you were able to squeeze in some time, <laughs> of sports life balance, and I do need the beach chair. Um, so you just flew in from Chicago like a f- couple of hours ago. Uh, yes, I did. I was actually
1: in Maine. So I had one flight before I even texted you in Chicago. Oh. So uh, yeah, I mean, but y- you and I have shared many conversations over the years. Um, I'm not going to complain about travel. That's just sort of part of my life.
0: No, it's, it's, it's certainly a testament to your success is you being gone on the road quite a bit. Well thank you for saying that. Uh, it's
1: just a necessity, right? I mean, as a sports commentator and certainly as you remember for, from both of our athletic days, I mean, it is, it's just, it's just built in. It doesn't make it easy. Sometimes it makes it actually very frustrating because as also you and I have talked about a lot, um, we tend to be like-minded about a lot of stuff (laughs) and, um, sometimes you just don't want people in your way, but that's rarely the case when you're
0: traveling. Yeah. Well there, yep. That's, that's for sure. There's just a million people in your way, even during good, the COVID time. Good times. problem to have, though. Yeah. So, um, so you know, you've, you've done, as I said before, you've done an, an amazing array of things in, in your life. And, and the Craig Hummer that people watch on TV, you know, kind of the blonde Southern Californian, <laughs> in it, 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 so many ways it belies the way that you were brought up as a kid in the Midwest, uh certainly um i w- was and perhaps
1: many people would say still am a buckeye um <laughs> i was born in akron ohio raised right around columbus whatever age you you pick right as a young kid 8 9 10 it would be january 1st uh the rose bowl would be coming on television um i'd be getting ready to hear keith jackson's voice right, right? and i'd look out the window and it would be a shade of gray I'll call it, usually with some moisture hitting the window. I'd look in the kitchen at my parents, and then I would look at the TV, and I'd see the blue sky of Pasadena, and I'd see the green grass of the Rose Bowl. And I'd look back at my parents, and I'm not sure I knew swear words at the time, (laughs) but if I did, they probably were rolling over in my brain saying, what the F are we doing here? I'm going there. Wow. As I watched the TV. So, this is as so, a little kid. As I a mean, little kid. Wow. So, so, I was on a plane. Um, I went to a small school called Kenyon College for, mm-hmm. for, you know, university slash secondary. And within
0: 12 hours after I graduated from college, I was in California. I was wondering about that, how, you know, a kid from Ohio ended up. <clears throat> in LA because that's of course where our story kind of picks up. But I'll, we'll we'll get we'll get back to that in a sec. I want to go back to when you were younger, you you gravitated towards swimming. Um and as we both know and we've both talked about, you know, you have to have a little bit of a screw loose in mm-hmm. order to thrive, and enjoy a sport like swimming.
1: Yeah, without question. And in fact, I've had even more than just one screw loose because I can remember this vaguely, but it was a summer team that my parents wanted me to try. And I remember seeing the butterfly and remember thinking... Well, that, that looks cool. And so for that first summer, at least the way my parents tell the story, at least when they were both alive, they would tell the story, that for that first summer, all I did was butterfly. Really? I would I would not swim any other stroke besides butterfly. Now... I wa- you know I was able to wise up a bit as, as my years progressed yeah't um, I became a four
0: hundred or <laughs> so you
1: and I both know what that means i didn 't wise up one hundred percent but no, no, no that 's about <laughs> like
0: the the smallest increment from just doing flies <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. exactly for, for for listeners that don 't know what the four hundred im is it 's a grueling event where it 's a hundred of each stroke butterfly backstroke, breaststroke, freestyle. <laughs> And I don't think I did one after about I was 13 years old. I well, that, just
1: couldn't do it. Well, that's because you clearly found your niche as a breaststroker, my friend. So <laughs> I was still trying things out. And that's sort of what, you know, and I know we probably will talk about this too, but that's sort of been my mentality still. You know, I mean, I, I'm not sure I still have found what I'm supposed to do or what I'm, what I'm good at. I mean, I, I work
0: every day to try to figure that out. Well, perhaps it's that wanderlust that has been one of the main ingredients to all that you've been able to accomplish. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. You need, need a, you need aspiration in order to achieve. Yeah, and I and
1: I think you know whether whether I was trying to think about this when you and I talked about doing this podcast, but um, I I don't feel like I've ever found my perfect home, and mm. so yeah, so it's not just wanderlust, but it's also almost like a craving and 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 maybe that's weird to some people but for me it's just day to day and I and I satiate that craving at least professionally with always studying always you know right. trying to improve you know I mean I, you know you've seen my bio I mean I've covered over 60 different sports right. part of the reason I enjoy doing that and something that you and I both as parents I think try to pass on to our kids is love to learn and mm-hmm. that's what I that's I think what I learned in college. Mm-hmm. I was a history major so right. it wasn't like I you know knew that I was going to do something with my life other than I was taught to love learning both in high school and in college and I think that's probably one of the biggest
0: things that has served me well as I advance in years. So <clears throat> when you were in college you also swam. I mean by the yeah. time you got to college you you started swimming when you were 5. So mm-hmm. By the time you got to college, you'd already spent well over a decade in the pool. Absolutely. No, I mean, I, it's funny. I, I went to Kenyon College, as I've
1: already said. Very mm-hmm. tiny Division three school. Um, if your listeners know this about how, at least in sports, colleges are, I'll call it, divided or segregated or, or how they sort of parcel them out. Division one, like you went to. Athletic scholarships, I mean— across the board right mm-hmm. for sports. Division 2 the same, but in division 3 there are no athletic scholarships. Right. So I actually went on an academic scholarship okay. to Kenyon and the good news if you're a division 3 athlete is hey, you don't want to be an athlete anymore? You're not tied to a scholarship. Yeah. You know, there there's nothing that is keeping you doing the sport you've chosen to do except that you love it and and i think that's also maybe something that i learned early on was mm. i learned to seek out or to try to seek out things that i was interested in at first mm. that then became something that i love to do
0: well there, that's yeah that's that's a really interesting point that you bring up because you know without Without that love, as you say, there would be no passion. And mm-hmm. without that passion, it's just very, very, it's impossible to do very difficult things. Well, and I'm glad you,
1: very glad you used that word because of the, the, the number of sports that I said a moment ago that I've done, all of those are passion sports. Mm-hmm. I, I have not had the opportunity, let's say, in, in my, at my current state, to do play-by-play, which is the role I do in my television shows, um, for football basketball, baseball, Mm. or hockey, right? The traditional stick and ball stuff. Um, Who knows why that hasn't either happened or why my path has been what it is. But I do think it's because I competed myself in a passion sport. And Mm. and I define the passion sports by people would do these whether they got paid or not, you know, right? I mean, when you and I started swimming, it was a passion sport right there were not professional swimmers out there i mean right. you could become an olympian as you did um, and as i tried to become <laughs> but but right i mean it wasn't like it we aren't we weren't i should say in the state of sports that we're in now where you can make money right in a lot of different ways and that's sort of what you know if you'll allow me to segue a second When I was a professional sport or sports athlete in the weird ocean Ironman stuff that I did, the lifeguard sports, um, that was sort of the beginning of this trend. You know, Mm -hmm. that's when beach volleyball, you know, was, was having a heyday. That was when skateboarding, you know, was taken off. That's when BMX, you know, uh, clearly cycling had been a, a huge thing for then. But, you know, cycling started out basically as, as a passion sport, you know, decades, if not a hundred years Especially ago. Especially in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so again, I'm, I'm lucky now that I get to translate who I was and what I
0: felt as an athlete into whom I'm around and what I have to convey as a broadcaster. Well, that's what makes you so interesting. And that's the stuff I want to, that's the juice I want to talk about <laughs> with you because I, I'm endlessly fascinated by athletes and their motivations for doing things and 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 also great physical prowess and mental prowess and toughness and, and all of those things. Um, let's go back really quickly then. You talk, you, you, you talk about it as like a blue sky moment where mm-hmm. you decided you're, you're going to Los Angeles. <laughs> like I can't imagine doing that. Like that's, a, that's an enormous just leap to follow your dreams. It, I, I think so. And, and sorry to overtalk you for a second, but
1: I, I also think that you can't go anywhere. Any of us on the planet can't go anywhere unless you dream and, and you can't go anywhere mm. unless unless you take that dream and you work backwards from that dream and you, and you, and you try to figure out those steps. Yeah. And I would clearly be remiss because you know everybody's got, I think, somebody that helps them along the way, if not multiple people along the way. The only reason actually I was even able to start on this journey was my wife, then girlfriend, mm-hmm paid for my ticket before we even graduated from college to come out and take the lifeguard swim for L.A. County. Oh, wow. And the only reason I even got to that point was we, at the time, Kenyon was very dominant in Division Three, and our two biggest rivals were UCSD, okay. San Diego, right, right? and Claremont-Mudd. Right. And, and so because Claremont-Mudd was closer in terms of that rivalry, we weren't really as, right, as a team, we weren't really friends with them. But because San Diego was sort of like the upstart team that had great swimmers but weren't as close as a team to us, Mm -hmm. we oddly became buddies in terms of our teams. Like, they came to Kenyon one year when I was there to do a dual meet. And so it was my friendship with a couple guys who were on that UCSD team They were the ones that FedExed the application out to me, that then I FedExed back. And so it was just, it was really, right, just me putting out there that I thought this was something that I wanted to do, and then, again, working Working backwards backwards. to some of these opportunities becoming a reality. Yeah, I love that. It totally makes sense. Well, it does now.
0: Well, I could have
1: I could have flown out here, failed miserably,
0: and we wouldn't be talking. But well, yeah, I, I mean, I think I think though, Craig. Also, I mean, there's there's always a risk. You don't know what you're in for when you embark on something. Uh, ever true?
1: I, I I I I agree. I mean, uh, I don't mean to sound morbid, but you know, the history is littered with people who thought they were just you know go going for a drive or going for a walk down yeah. the street or whatever, and then tragedy hits, you know what I mean? So so not to turn this into a downer for a second, and that's not what I dwell on, but I think you're absolutely right. I mean, you, you cannot either prepare for everything or you shouldn't necessarily at times be ready for, you know, for, for anything. I mean, you just, you just have to try to do what you're going to do.
0: Right. Right. Well, let's, let's keep a, uh, keep a carpet carpet diem kind of yes <laughs> exactly. mentality here. So you came, you came to California, you said, uh, Jennifer, uh, did she come with you for the first, that no. first swim? Mm-mm. You just, you no. just came out See, and you just did yeah, the swim. How, how did the swim go? Uh,
1: good. I, I won, I won that qualifying swim <laughs> and embarked on this strange journey. And you found yourself a lifeguard at L.A. County. Yep. And yeah, it was just, I mean, this is 1987. So, I mean, I was an Ohio kid. I mean, I had traveled extensively because of mm-hmm. my swimming, but it certainly wasn't like I knew anything about Southern California. It was just a place on the map. Oddly enough, again, back to my wife Jennifer, she had already gotten a job. that was And that's part of the reason why I chose, oh, I sh- well, if you're going to go to L.A., I'm going to go to LA too because I'd love for us to stay together, and that's when this sort of idea of being an ocean lifeguard presented uh-huh. itself. And at the time, and I think it still is the case, LA County paid the most, so the guys on the UCSD team were like, "Don't don't fool around with any of these other agencies. Uh-huh. Be an LA County guard." And so yeah, it was just it really just sort of laid itself out. I mean, I'll tell you one other story about the lifeguarding stuff was after winning this swim. I went up to go make my appointment. You had to make a physical appointment, right? Mm-hmm. And I couldn't attend the first rookie school because I still had to graduate from Kenyon College. Oh, you so went I had back to, go to school? Ba- yeah, I had to go back to Ohio. I mean, I literally only flew out for a few days. And so the woman who was the logistics slash, you know, I don't know, HR person at the time, said, well, if you can't, um, if you can't, be in the first rookie school, you can't have an appointment on Monday morning, which was the only time I could go because I was catching a plane. And so she's like, sorry, good luck next year. And so, and so I went and told the, the lifeguard, um, Dave Moore, who I was staying with and his brother Chuck was a permanent. And they basically took me upstairs to meet the captain whose name uh, was Don Rohr. and, big, gruff sort of walrus of a man, hu- huge, you know, and and I'll never forget being sort of paraded through this, like, glass house down at Santa Monica Pier. I mean, what did I know, right? I mean, yeah. it was just, I was as wide-eyed as wide-eyed gets, and I saw Chuck go in and talk to, at the time, it was Captain Roar, and, and I see them sort of gesture. It's all behind glass. Uh-huh. I can't hear anything. So finally, he comes out, and he's like, are you the kid that won that swim? And I said, yes, sir. And then he said, are you going to work central section? And I didn't really know what central section was, okay. except I figured it was probably his section. And uh-huh. so I said, wherever you need me to work, sir. And he uh-huh. goes, all right, come with me. He truly grabbed me by the scruff of the <laughs> neck, marched me down the stairs, and, and, and put me in front of this woman. And, and he, these were his exact words. He said, I have never seen anybody win the swim like this gentleman just did. You're going to give him whatever he wants. Nice and and the lady was just a little miffed because right she got sort of overruled in her position. You did an end run on her, but I sort of did do an end run without knowing, right? But again, it was just one of those weird
0: steps of fate. Wow! So you found yourself a guard, yeah? Like this is also where this is Baywatch. This is correct. This is like the famous television show. This is. Yes as glamorous as well as as you get as far as what the perception is of the job absolutely i mean it it was you know if if there are baseball players
1: listening who want to play for the Yankees or you know or there are football players out there who we're old enough to remember when the Dallas Cowboys, right, were were America's team. Mm-hmm. Maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> but uh depending on your region, right? That's what LA County lifeguards are yeah. to lifeguard world. I mean, they are the cat's meow.
0: But it's it's also not just sitting in the sun and oh, talking no. to women and grabbing rays and relaxing. No, I mean, no. It's it's serious life and death uh, business. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, you yeah, know, look, let's let's as funny
1: or as fun as my star stories might seem to become a lifeguard. Uh, the responsibility that every single beach guard has, no matter for LA County or whatever, it is very real. I mean, I, I, have so many friends that are still permanent lifeguards or Mm -hmm. firemen as you do too. And and, I mean, my respect for anyone in, in not just civil service, but first responders or anything like that. Right. I mean, this is, it's real. So, so I lived that. I was a, I was a lifeguard for 27 years. Thankfully did not ever have to deal with life or death in terms of in the moment. I was I worked towers where something either happened life or death the day before or the day after. Mm -hmm. Um, I responded to very serious injuries and other things, but the life or death stuff, I I never had to see firsthand, which was, um,
0: okay Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. For sure. Well, the, your lifeguard career segued rather quickly into lifeguard competition. Yes. And, and it, What is lifeguard competition? Explain this to me because it is a bit convoluted and it's not like we see it all the time on TV. No, totally. You're right. And, and And
1: taking a little bit of what I do now to then explain what I was doing then, lifeguard competitions are a lot like rodeo. You know how there are mm. multiple events at a rodeo? Oh, right, right. At a lifeguard competition, it's the same sort of thing. Okay. I mean, th- there are pieces of equipment, let's say, that we use, paddle boards, surf skis, which mm-hmm. are like kayaks, um, dories, which are the, the row boats, right, that right. you see. Um, there are races that involve rescue cans. There are team races. So so that's probably the best way to describe it. So it's basically like an aquatic rodeo. Okay. Now, I quickly learned that there was one sport sort of, or excuse me, one event in particular. particular that internationally had more renown because just by virtue of it being tied in with lifeguarding here in the U.S., in other countries around the world, the the ocean Ironman, which is basically more like a triathlon, mm-hmm. although it's four disciplines. So it's the swimming, it's the running, which okay. is beach running, so no shoes, right? And then the paddleboarding again. Now, right. most of your listeners will be like, oh, yeah, I go out on a stand-up paddleboard. It, this isn't a stand-up paddleboard. This was, you know, you're either on your stomach or on your knees okay. in, a, in a powerful position, sort right. of going in and out of the surface. And then again, back to what I called surf skiing, which instead of a kayak, technically you sit in it. Uh-huh. A surf ski, you sit on top of it with a molded seat and foot pedals that that steer a rudder. Right. So a surf ski is 18 feet long, or at least that was the standard, you know, when I was doing these competitions. Mm-hmm. And so these competitions are professional in New Zealand, South Africa, Australia. And I, for whatever reason, really knew about that right away. Mm. And that became something I felt like I might be good at. Right. So I didn't pay attention to all the other aquatic rodeo events. I started focusing, even though I only came in as a swimmer, I started focusing on that, you know, four discipline. Event.
0: Right. Right. And, and you, you were good right away. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, you won the U S life-saving association national championships in your first year, or was this your, it, it was within a calendar year, Right. Yeah, it was my it was my
1: first summer. We went to Hawaii. Oh my Yeah, which is my favorite beach. I, on I the know, planet. right? I mean, oh. one of the things I really enjoyed about my post collegiate athletic career was I traveled all over the world, um, usually all expenses paid, mm-hmm. and got to basically be out in the sun and be in the ocean. Um, so there's not a lot to dislike, at least right for somebody coming from like you and I did as a swimming background. That sounds like fun um, to me. And And <laughs> yes, the, the event that I actually won that first summer was called the Run, Swim, Run, which was the easiest thing for me to transition to right. be, being a swimmer. Um, and that's somewhat what got me noticed because I won that Run, Swim, Run. I then got asked to be on the US team to go to Australia in 1988. And that's where I saw sort of what, this great big world of lifeguard competition was because Australia is the Mecca. I mean, that is, that is, they are, you know, you might get some South Africans or some Kiwis that argue with this fact, but in terms of just numbers and, and pure just proficiency in, in this sport, that's
0: where you want to be if you want to try to get better. So you, your success, like you had a long string of successes and and I don't want to get bogged down too much into them, but for about eight years, you won countless competitions and you actually, at some point too, you went to go live in Australia Yeah. in order to compete in Australia, which is, as you said, like that's that's the big boys. No,
1: and, and yes. So, so again, I'll try to keep this brief as well. So, I went down. I'm the only American ever contracted to compete in their professional series, which at the time was called the Uncle Toby's Super Series. Right, right. So, so you
0: were the, you were the first American. I was the
1: first American to be contracted by them. Now there had been other Americans, Mitch Conn, um, Dan Mathies, who uh-huh. had gone down and competed in a race called the Cool and Got a Gold. Okay. So I wasn't the first American to ever right go down and, and right. do these longer races, but I was the first and now still only American to ever do it really as a contracted athlete for these extended series. Okay. So so our races, you know, they were on live TV. We'd go, we'd travel all over the country. Um, it it was really cool, right? I mean, yeah. it, again, it just seemed like a natural for me. It was a natural extension, almost like as I continued to sort of widen my reach, I'll call it, even though at the time, I you know, I didn't really see it as that, uh-huh. although I will get to something, or I'll, I'll just jump to it real fast. You know, the one thing when I did finally make my transition to broadcasting, in my later years, I, I really made a conscious decision to your point of winning all these things. I, I knew that this sport was not known. I mm-hmm. knew that I was not going to make a living at this sport. I knew that um, it was confusing, like you've already, already mentioned. Yeah. So I made a very conscious decision to be the best for so long and at so many of these sports within the aquatic rodeo that when people thought mm-hmm. about this sport, there was only one person they thought of. And, and that thankfully became me. And so that tended then to open doors, whether they were PR doors or the story I'm going to share with you is, is I think it was 1995. The one professional competition we did every year was down in Hawaii and it was run by a company called event marketing. Mm -hmm. The man who ran it at the time, who who came from the hotel industry and had worked for the Hawaiian tourism board. His name is Tom Kiley. Uh, I walked up to him after winning one of these races. It's called the King's race. And I said, Hey, you know, Tom, look, I I don't know how long I'm going to be an athlete, but I'm starting to plan for the future. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking broadcasting might be something I'm interested in. And, And he was doing a number of different shows at the time down there. And I said, so if you ever have anything in mind, please, you know, Or if you ever have anything that might be something I could do, please keep me in mind. So he listened to me very dutifully and then Uh just sort of nodded his head when I was done. Five minutes later, he walked up to me, handed me a microphone, and he said, go interview the winner of the Waikiki Roughwater Swim. If you do a good job, I'll keep you here all expenses paid for a week to
0: host the Diamond Head Biathlon for ESPN. And that's how I got my start. There you go. Now that's a break that's yeah. a break. So so you you very it, it sounds to me like you were you know now it's all the rage to say you know I'm creating my brand but you were creating your brand before people even talked with the, that vernacular <laughs> that you know you were you were kind of like the you know you were the lifeguard you were you know the beach guy yeah. um and and um so the you did a lot of sports for example that had to do with beach lifestyle um so surfing and volleyball mm-hmm. and and triathlons and things like that, right? Yeah. So from there, that's is that the that's the trajectory yeah, that, that, that is we went? yeah okay. that's absolutely right. I mean, you and I have both worked
1: in the TV industry long enough to know sometimes the people in power don't necessarily see what you see, <laughs> <laughs> and they aren't necessarily as willing to take a risk like perhaps you are. Right. So yes, it was very easy to get slotted into a lot of these action sports and ocean sports and beach sports as they came up and sort of got their day in the sun on TV.
0: Right. Yeah. Now I also remember that you, you had some side hustles like the, like this was, this did not come with like a spigot, you know, it didn't come as a fire hose. It kind of, it kind of started out as more of a trickle, but like you, I remember you, and I think this is the way that we got to know each other, was when, when you were a master's coach. Yeah, in the late 80s. Yeah, yeah early yeah. 90s. And, yeah. And, and, and I was just kind of swimming for fitness. But you would you would be the coach, and you'd be there 5.30 in the morning, and you know, you'd park on, and you'd be coaching yeah. us. Yeah, you know, mul- multiple times a day some days. I mean, yeah. yes. And so
1: I, I think anyone can relate to this, right? I mean, there's, there's no straight path, I think, to anything, I mean, absolutely you, right. Not. For forget the work for a second, which you have to be willing to do. Um, It's almost like a, a pinball, right? Or or, or, or or what? What's the game? I can't think of pachinko. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Pachinko, yeah. Right. I mean, that, that that either comes down or right. I mean, there, there's no direct line yeah. in this. Yeah. I, I would. I mean, look, I'd be lying if I didn't admit I'm envious of people that possibly have that direct line that, that know they want to be a firefighter or a doctor or a lawyer, you know, when they're, Mm, when they're young, Mm I, I, I started this (laughs) podcast off by saying, I still don't know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just trying, man. I'm
0: just trying to, (laughs) you know, pay the bills and keep it all afloat and be a good dad. And, you know, all of that. We'll return to Craig Hummer in just a minute. But first, I want to tell you about our partners, Roka. Their motto is field-tested, athlete-approved. And listen, I've been a Roka user for years. And even though I'm an athlete and I'm a bit on the older side, I definitely approve. And let me tell you, there's nothing better than using supreme quality gear like Roka's. And check this out. Roka also makes the best-performing eyeglasses and sunglasses on the market. They're really lightweight, and they all come with adjustable non-slip nose and temple pads, and they stay put right on my face no matter what I'm doing. And I've got some on now, and I totally forget that I'm wearing them throughout the day. Roka also has their exclusive try-at-home program where they'll send you some glasses. You can put them to the test and purchase your favorite. So please go check them out. Head to Roka.com, that's R-O-K-A.com. And enter code SLB, yes, as in Sports Life Balance. That's three letters SLB to save 20% on your first order. And that's for anything on their website. Enjoy. We're back and you're listening to Sports Life Balance. I started this
1: podcast off by saying, I still don't know if I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just trying, man. I'm just trying to, (laughs) you know pay the bills and keep it all afloat and be a good dad and, you know, all of that. Right. So I'm lucky though, that I have fallen into and worked towards a lot of this stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can relate. And I think a lot of (laughs) listeners can relate to trying to continually figure out what's the best step, Yeah, but what's the best next step. Yeah. 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 It's just, I think it's It's, 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 it's just part of living. It's part of living a well-lived life is, you know, trying to be, trying to be better with each step or with each direction, uh, that you take. Well, and again, because we're starting to get up there
1: in years, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, you just use the word in succession a lot. I mean, it's life, right? I mean, I wouldn't want a life, you know, I often attach sort of colors, you know, or, or, you know, and look, I'm not an artist i'm not a poet but you know i i would much rather have a life that has ups and downs and a lot of color in it rather than just a, a flat line right. and and you know shades of gray you yeah. know what i mean and, yeah. and so i think that comes only with a lot of work again right i mean yeah. y- you have to figure out how to see those colors? You have to figure out if you're low. How to, how to get high? And and you know we're all sorry that came out the wrong way, right? <laughs> to get, well, to get it, but but you know what I mean. To get you know, to the it, mountaintop. Yeah. I mean it's it is um, it's daily work,
0: and and that's the only way I know really how to describe it. I I, I, I totally agree with you, and and I, I'm wondering if you think that your training ground. Or mm. this came from sports. A- absolutely. I mean,
1: you then you, right back to the conversations we've shared over the years. I mean, I I would not change one part of this. I mean, being a swimmer for me didn't show immediate gains, right? I wasn't like mm. <laughs> it padded my bank account. Um, I I didn't, you know, reach the pinnacle that you did in the pool, but it taught me so many lessons, and I know it taught you so many lessons right. and, and it doesn't have to be swimming, right? It was swimming for us but but yes, I mean sports in general is is such a great I mean look, I know it's not the the best thing to refer to right now because we're in a point I feel in society where everybody either needs to have an opinion or we need to hear everybody's opinion or, you know, in sports that equates to everybody gets some form of a medal or, mm-hmm. you know, that sort of thing. But again, back to when you and I grew up, I mean, I have no problem and probably one of the reasons why I've stayed in sports as, a, as an industry. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that there are winners and losers in sports. I mean, I love how that forces... A definition, you, you know, you, you can't argue with that, right? I mean, no. back in your swimming career and in my athletic career, if you didn't win, you knew what you did to get to the point where you didn't win, right? And then you went back and you worked on it and you, and you yeah. tried to change it, yeah. And then clearly, in your case and often in my case, you came out then a, a, as the winner, and so. I, I love the fact that that every week I get to talk about people's success because that's, you know, or, or the building blocks, right? The people that don't win, they've got
0: then now building blocks
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to perhaps win
0: later on. Well, and, and people who watch sports care about this deeply as well. And in, in many ways, and I'm just kind of thinking about this and riffing, you're kind of the conduit in so many ways especially on television mm-hmm. for people to watch sports and for people to hear w- with expertise and nuance what is going on Certainly. because you're you're going to have a writer, a bull rider that i that you're not going to necessarily know anything about of but course. you you you're the one that's going to be filling people in like he, yeah. he lost the last competition well, he broke his back last year all that stuff like i think that's the those are the building blocks of you know, elemental drama and life. And yeah, well, look at the end of the day, and
1: and you have a resume much longer than me for doing this. Mine just happens to be with my voice and, and, you know, in sports, but yes, it's storytelling. I mean, it's storytelling Mm, 101. I guess I could have said that. I mean, but no, I mean, and and it, and (laughs) again, storytelling 101, you know, people like beginning middles and ends. I mean, that keeps it simple, it's easy to then follow. Right. And sports very much seems to follow a beginning, middle, and end, no matter what sport you're doing. Um just a, a interjection real fast. Yeah. Jennifer, my wife, her um godfather is a is a famous reporter or, or was okay for, for ABC News. Okay. His name's James Walker. He was Peter Jennings sort of go-to guy mm-hmm. for, for the years that Peter Jennings was there. I was in, I'll call it a crisis of, of <laughs> resolve and or, you know, what am I going to perhaps do as my next step? And I remember he's been a great mentor to me. He's probably one of only two or three guys that I would even use that word for me with. And I asked him one time you know, should I stay with sports? I mean, because it seems like there's a lot more opportunity in news. I mean, if I want to still be a broadcaster, mm-hmm. that, that seems like maybe I should make that change. And, and this has always stuck with me now that I'm in my 25th year of doing this. He said, look, you stay in sports as long as you possibly can. Because here's why. At the end of every single event that you do, at least 50% of your audience is happy yeah and they attach being happy with you and your voice. I love that and and it's i mean I mean right when you think about it, I mean certainly the fifty percent has more to do with team you know sports and everything else but it but it really is true and and not that I want to turn this into a right a political slash state of the world conversation, but clearly part of what has helped keep a lot of society. Afloat and motivated through the past eighteen to twenty-four months that we're, you know, going on mm-hmm. is sports. Yeah. And you know, I mean it is look, I don't have to tell you the Olympics, even though it was postponed a year, I I have so many people that told me they have never watched more Olympics in their life. Because it right? Because it was just what they needed. Yes. Because it wasn't
0: the news. It wasn't, it, you're right, it wasn't the news. And there's a universality to watching young athletes put themselves on the line, athletes from all over the world, and just going for it with reckless abandon. Well, and everybody understands that, equa- that equation. Yeah, I mean, you lived it. So
1: clearly, I don't need to tell you. But yeah. yes, I think that um, it's a marvelous thing. I'll tell you a funny Olympic story in this. Hopefully your listeners can glean something out of this. But I remember as a kid, I just thought the Olympics were my future, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I I just, it was it. Like I remember delivering a speech in the fifth grade where I stole one of my mom's white bed sheets and I, and I made the Olympic rings, you know, and I ruined uh-huh. this sheet and I, and I, just colored the Olympic rings as my backdrop for this speech. And I remember being fixated on the Olympics, okay? Mm -hmm. But I never was fixated to the point where maybe you did this. I'd love to hear your your, response to this. I didn't say, I want to go to the Olympics and win the 400 IM. I didn't say, I want to go to the Olympics even as a swimmer. Mm -hmm. I just said, I want to go to the Olympics. So when I didn't go as a swimmer, of course I was disappointed. But then interestingly enough in 2004, when I covered my first Olympics as a broadcaster, I all of a sudden remembered thinking this as a kid. And I remember going light bulb, right? Wow. Be specific with what you want. Be specific with what you wish for. Be specific, right? And, in what your direction is because I, I finally got my wish. I, all I ever wanted to do when I was a kid, supposedly, was go to the Olympics. Well, I, I, and I ended up covering five of them. Yeah. So, uh-huh. so again, I, I just really like. I get chills when I when I think about that because I just think, damn, if I'd only said I want to be John Moffat in the breaststroke.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I probably should have wanted to be Craig Hummer. I mean. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I don't know, but yeah, the Olympics certainly are to me something very close, in, as to you, and I think it's just one of those things. It's it's just it's the world comes together. You totally. know, every couple of years, the yeah. world comes together. And, um, and it is a celebration and the borders don't matter as much and immigration and all these political, all the political strife and all the stuff that's going on geopolitically or locally or whatever, it just kind of melts away just for a couple of weeks, every couple of years. Yeah. And, um, and I think that it's, it's, it's needed. It's needed. Totally. No, I I couldn't agree more. Well, um, I just thought about something
1: really fast. I want to interject this. I told you I was going to do this. So Uh I'm sorry if this is a, a planned segue. Um, I can't believe you're even here talking to me, well, okay? I... Because the guests, the list of guests <laughs> that you have had for your podcast, and I and I'm not saying this for you to even say something like, "Oh, come on" or whatever. But I mean, you know, we talked before we started recording right. about Christine, right? Yeah, who was right. the first Peloton Christine instructor, Deer Cole, yeah, yeah, who was the first Peloton instructor I ever took, who I and my still favorite. still take her classes. Yep, you know, me too. too. Um, you know, we talked about Phil. Right. I mean, in Mm -hmm. terms of what he's been able to do with his shows, not just The Amazing Race, but Tough as Nails, you know, Mm -hmm. and so for me, my connection to him is that, I mean, clearly, right, I've done a lot of hosting, I'm in this world, you know, he's always been this sort of shining light, not to mention he's a cyclist like you and I. So, you know, to see him to, to John neighbor, right? I mean, I remember having John's poster. on my wall as a kid and then getting to meet him subsequently the years I covered USA swimming and then getting to meet both him and Dwight stones when I started covering Mm -hmm. the Olympics and, and you know how big of a deal it is sometimes to meet these people who you, you, you know, you hold up on a pedestal, but then as you're shedding light on, they really are these amazing people. Uh, Donna, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I saw hey, that, yeah, that you have interviewed her as well. I mean, in the list, of course, goes on. And Brandy, I mean, mm-hmm. I saw that you interviewed her. I remember being in Fry's Electronics when they won. Yeah, and she made that goal. I remember it was like the first time I'd ever hugged like random strangers. <laughs> yeah. the fries, right? The fries that the used to fries, be here in Man- Manhattan, Manhattan Beach. Beach. I mean, on Rosecrans. Yeah. I mean, and so it was fun for me to sort of as I did my due diligence a little bit, looking at all you know your podcast list. Um, I'm just I, thank you for well, for having me
0: do this because I don't feel I'm worthy. Oh, well, believe me, you're nah. you fit right you uh, fit but, right in and. And, you know, it comes down to storytelling. It comes down to I am trying to create through the guests that I have lots and lots and lots of points of view and people who come at the same thing that we're all trying to get at, which is just life enhancing lessons from sports Mm -hmm. from different directions. And that's one of the great things about athletics. You ask any athlete how they got into their sport. There's a different story. Yeah. And and you ask anybody anything about how they ended up where they are. It's everyone. Everyone has different story. And and the more different stories that the guests that I have tell, I think the more enlightening that the listeners are going to find it.
1: Yeah. No. And look, the the, the name I forgot to throw out there, obviously, is one of the biggest storytellers you and I both know, which is. Rich role, right? I yeah, mean, right. The fact right. that you yeah. and he have been able to sit down and talk. And, um, you know, he certainly has done this um, for a number of years, but you guys are both, I would call it your curators. You know what I mean? I mean, you have taken on this responsibility to somehow curate a way for people to, you know, again, the name implies. I mean, you go into a museum, someone has decided why these works are important, right? I mean, that's I'm, sort of what you're doing with this podcast. You're, I think you're right. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. I mean, to be comp- to be fair, to com- be compared to Rich, I mean, he's a wildly successful oh, podcaster. Of course he is, yeah. I mean, I'm just this little upstart. Um, and you know, my wife called me the other day, she goes, you're kind of like the Ted Lasso of podcasts. Oh, that's funny. (laughs) I think it's kind of funny because, you know, I'm just trying to get some positive vibes and some, some positive stories that, you know, there's, there's good stuff going on and, and sports makes for good stuff and it makes for transformative stuff. And you, you give me an athlete, and the athlete will always tell you that their lives were transformed mm-hmm. in some way mm-hmm. by the sports they participated in. And it doesn't mean that you have to make it to the Olympic games or the Paralympic games or the pros or what have you, in order for that transformation to occur. All you have to do is just go for it, work hard, have aspirations. And that's where the transformation happens.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, again, that hearing you say those words, what resonates with me and, and why clearly you're also doing this as your podcast theme is, yes, all that stuff is exactly what any of us should hope for with life yeah, and, and yeah. want right. for those closest to
0: us to to either endeavor to have or to seek out. Yeah. And adventures, adventures find you if you do that. Yeah. I think a perfect example of one of those adventures, and I was always envious of you and this adventure that you had for, I want to say it was close to a decade, was the fact that you got to be part of the Tour de France train. Oh, yeah. On, I mean, so was was it nine years? Nine years, yeah. Yep. Tell me, tell me how that. How how that landed, and in, in what was it that you did at first? Um, it, it landed like a lot of the other 60-plus things that I've
1: done in terms of if I'm categorizing things. It was a phone yeah. call. And I'm a freelance sports broadcaster. I mean, yeah. I'm lucky that now I've done the PBR for 16 years, and I've done the, the DRL, the Drone Racing League, uh-huh. for six years. But all of this starts with a phone call. And so with the tour, I... Was actually supposed to host the tour the year before I became a reporter. Um there is a backstory there, which w- we're not gonna tell in front of the mics. Okay. But um it's interesting. It goes back to uh my comment uh throwing a little shade, let's say, at network executives and and people in power in the TV industry. Yes. Um so mm-hmm that didn't happen in 2003 so in 2004 i got a phone call where they said look uh we know you're very good at hosting but we have this this guy maybe you've heard of al troutwig <laughs> that we're going <laughs> to that we're going to have as the host um but there's a spot open um and i know it's you know in the tv world it's sometimes considered a step down to be a reporter when you're either a play-by-play person yeah. or a host but i was like hey I've dreamed about the tour, I think, like you have, you know, my whole life. So, yes, sign me up. So what was very funny was they waited until the very end when I said, yes, I would like to do this. They're like, well, I know we said it's not really high profile, but you're going to be Lance Armstrong's personal reporter. And I remember thinking I was covering something. God, it wasn't the combat games. I was down in Atlanta covering something. Anyway, and they needed to know because I was going to leave in Three or four days, yeah, so as I've done a lot, and thankfully, my wife Jennifer, has the patience of a million wives, and I said I need to call my wife and see if it's okay, and thankfully, she said yes, and so that's how I started, so those years when when Lance you know was winning
0: six and seven, yes, those were my first two years, so Oh right! Wow. Yeah, that was yeah, toward so, the tail so, end. So, oh four, oh five, were okay, my first okay, two years. So okay. I got
1: to do the Olympics and the Tour,
0: all that was a big summer in the in the same summer. Yeah, yeah. These athletes, these cyclists that are doing the Tour de France, are like they're they transcend human endeavor as far as their toughness and and I mean, that, and that's that's not without hitting the deck. Um, I mean, it's just it's crazy. It's a crazy human feet that these guys do summer after summer after summer. Yes. I mean,
1: I have never been a professional cyclist. I've only been around them and seen them, you know, in their, their weakest moments, some of them and Mm -hmm. some of them in their best moments. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I was always, as you're getting at, I think I was always fascinated in the storytelling that comes with that. I'm the athleticism as you've, as you've, you have hinted at is beyond. I don't think there's anything that rivals it. What they're able to accomplish is, is Herculean actually. And they're only able to accomplish it, right? Because it's a team sport. And Mm -hmm. yes, there are individuals perhaps that win Mm -hmm. certain accolades within this team sport, but anyone who has followed cycling, um, not even at the level that I have, but you know, it's a team. I yeah. mean, you, you don't yeah. get anywhere in that. And and again, it's like life. You don't get anywhere in life if you don't have your team. I mean, you may, right. I may get a chance to seem like on television, I've got this and I've got that or whatever, but you know, behind the scenes, right. I've already mentioned my wife numerous yeah, times, right. my kids, you know, friends like you, you know, whatever, right. We all have our, our teams, but, um, cycling is, is certainly at the forefront for people that have to endure
0: it's in it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my summer is not complete. <laughs> if I don't get to watch the Tour de France in yeah. 2020, the fact that it was delayed, it was yeah. just it was it just made for a much more difficult summer than it needed to be. Because well, it was. I'm sure. Pwned.
1: I'm sure NBC loves the fact that you still tune in <laughs> every morning, man. Every
0: morning. I
1: well, haven't covered it since 2012. Yeah. I mean, I still am, am very much a, a fan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really haven't covered any cycling since I think 2015 or 2016.
0: Well. You've mentioned a number of different times too that you 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 started doing a very different sport than the sports that you originally were seeking out, which mm-hmm. are the kind of beach sports. You ended up doing professional bull riding, which in so many ways it's like what is a what is a guy who's built his career. On summer sports and on outdoor yeah. sports, suddenly find himself with pro bull riding. How did that come about? Um, I will repeat the mantra: phone call.
1: I was covering. <laughs> I was covering the Olympics in. Well, technically, it was the Torino Olympics, but uh-huh. I was up in Sestriere. I was working the Mountain Bureau for NBC, and the man who was running. It was, I believe, it was still Outdoor Life Network, but maybe it was Versus. I, I get. Gets a little fuzzy yeah, when that right. whole transition took right. place. But his name is Marty Ehrlich, and he was newly sort of appointed to run the network. And he, I'd done some other things for him, and he called me up, and he's like, hey, what do you know about bull riding? And I sort of said, not much. Um, why? And he said, <laughs> well, uh, I know clearly because I've called you, you're at the Olympics, but we'd love for you to come to fill-in-the-blank bull riding event. Right. And I said, no, I, I can't because I'm taking my wife on vacation to Venice, Italy after the Olympics are over. Yeah. And he was somewhat incredulous. He's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm offering you a chance to do this. And I said, yeah, but I promised my wife yeah. that this is what we're going to do. So he goes, okay, well, they're in Reno, the week after, can you get to Reno? So I flew (laughs) from Italy and the, right, the magistrate of the Italian Alps and the canals of Venice (laughs) to Reno. Wow. And that's where I got my first taste of bull riding. And they tried me out and they wisely made a decision at the time. They didn't want to throw me to the wolves as the play-by-play guy right away. So they said, clearly you're a great reporter so we'll just start you off as a reporter for a few events to learn the sport right and then we'll switch you to play by play and that's what happened wow and that was what year uh 2000 well 2006
0: 2006 yeah
1: so that was that was winter of two thousand and six, wow. February of two
0: thousand and six wow. and And I have actually been to a pro bull riding event with you. We went to <laughs> Vegas one time together. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you like he, uh, and seeing that in person yeah. like it like was one one it's one type of a spectacle watching yeah. it on c b s but seeing it in person i mean, a those bulls are absolutely enormous. And B, the thing that is so interesting to me is that these riders are supreme athletes. So yes,
1: to, to further emphasize your points, um, I was lucky enough to cover horse racing for mm-hmm. a year. Uh, TVG. You talk about the power that you felt when you know I brought you to this bull riding event. There are few sports like this, right? So so being on the rail when. A horse race is going on, right? And you feel the ground shake and mm. you hear the thundering hooves. Before I had covered horse racing, would have no way, right? You just don't get that on television, yeah, right. right? Being at an auto race, right? You talk to people who are whether it's NASCAR or F1 fans, right? Being actually there and just right the cacophony. Although amidst the cacophony, it are very right clear and distinguishable purposeful sounds right but just Mm -hmm. just the thunder right Mm -hmm. of that bull riding is the same thing if if, you know i know we're in a bit of a air quotes you know different period right now with with covid and 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 where you can and can't be like i know with the pbr we don't anymore allow people fans on the shoots or anything like that um until we're sort of on the other side of all this but uh what you experienced yeah i mean it, it is when when these 2000 pound animals shake tons of steel mm. just because they decide to you know rattle up against them right and that leads me into what you said about these these riders being the athletes that they are for the past i want to say 5 to 10 years there's been a real transformation in in the sport of bull riding because much like a lot of other sports that have gone through this already or in even decades past, the bull riders have finally come to realize that the better in shape they are, the more generally athletic they are, the better they can do their job. So the, our world oh. number one, by the way, his name is Jose Vitor Lemmy. Mm-hmm. He's a Brazilian kid. He won the world championships last year. He was He was a semi-pro soccer player. Uh, martial artists. Um, I know you, you did martial arts for a number of years. Um, you know, he, he's a complete athlete mm-hmm. and it shows when he's on the back of a bull. Mm-hmm. And that might sound weird to somebody who's never watched bull riding because you might just think, what? What do you do? You just hold on and, you know, you make it to eight seconds, if, yeah. if some of your fans even know that, right? Right, right? But there's so much more that goes into it. And, and I will add one other thing that I've really enjoyed about working with bull riders. I think one of the first things you and I gravitated towards was even though we knew each other peripherally, we could just sense things about our personality and and about our character. Um, I have never been as a whole around a group of individuals um, that have the integrity and and Mm -hmm. have the character, um, have just the purpose that, that the community of cowboys had. Wow or has, excuse me. You know, the PBR, I think, had such a great slogan a couple years ago. It was called Be Cowboy. And it's basically how we all can be cowboy. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, we all should have integrity. You know, our word should be our bond. Our handshake should mean something. And so for me, um, that was incredible. You know, it, it happened in year 14. But I thought, this is how I've tried to live my life. So as weird as it might be, because you even right, led us into this by saying, how did I even get here? Mm-hmm. I almost really feel like it was meant to be, because that's what I try to be as a human. Mm-hmm. And as a group of individuals, they really embody that.
0: Yet another in a long line of blessings. Yeah. Oh, without a, without a doubt. I mean, look, I have been able to be around people
1: that excel. I mean, I, I am happy that selfishly I got to excel as an athlete and, and clearly my resume says that I've excelled in my business as a sports commentator, but really what drives me to be better all the time is that I'm around people who are driving themselves to be You're better right. all the time. And that's back to right the point that we know as athletes. I mean... I called it winning and losing earlier. Yeah. But it can also just be doing that work to become better. Ultimately, yes, you do not have to win to be a success. And if you lose, that doesn't not make you a success. But I do feel that you have to put the work in to try to get to the pinnacle of something. I mean, I, just, I just feel like that... That is just something ingrained in me. It's something that I'm around all the time because of
0: my job. And and I enjoy seeing the culmination of that. Yeah. I mean, your, your life is truly going back to why I wanted you to be a guest on Sports Life Balance is that your life has not only been unpredictable, but it's been a grand adventure. I'm really looking forward to see what some of your next endeavors might be. Me too. Right. I, I, you know, look, uh,
1: I've like you, I think I have some things (laughs) that I'm not willing to, willing to divulge at the moment, but I, I thank you for the opportunity. You know, I, I, I really just care about doing good work. I mean, Mm. that's what Mm. drives me. I mean, that really, um, Some people might call that a workaholic, but, but I've chosen to do it in a creative field. Mm. Um, so others might, you know, attach a different meaning to it, but it really just comes down to me is, you know, part of the reason why I love my job also is I'm there as like a megaphone, you know, back to the storytelling part. My greatest days are when I, if you and I were to ever work together and you were the swimming commentator, right? Um, my job's to get the best out of you. Right. Right? I mean, I've, you and I know I've worked with Rowdy Gaines on numerous occasions. I mean, no, he's the gold standard, right? In swimming. But everybody that I've worked with in these 60 sports has has been the Rowdy Gaines mm-hmm. of that sport. You know, the, the guy that I work with now who is one of my dearest, closest friends, his name is Justin McBride. He's a two-time PBR world champion. Um, every week, it's my job to get out of him why people care and should care about bull riding and if i don't do that
0: i don't feel like i was successful well craig thank you for sharing your good work your endeavor to always do good work (laughs) it's fascinating it's always fascinating chatting with you and great to see you my friend thanks for being on the podcast thank you Craig would like to share a quote from Brazilian lyricist and novelist Paulo Coelho. He wrote, It's the possibility of having a dream come true that makes life interesting. This motivational passage is taken from Coelho's book, The Alchemist, which, by the way, has sold more than 150 million copies worldwide. I'm John Moffat, and thank you for joining Craig and me on this inspiring episode. Keep dreaming, everyone, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening, kids, to Sports Life Balance.